Welcome to this episode of Northwest Passages, the program that features passages from books, poetry, or authors with a connection to the Pacific Northwest. I'm your host and producer, Douglas Furr, and the next four episodes will feature passages from Telemachus by former Port Townsend resident Michael Daly. In Greek mythology, Telemachus was the son of Odysseus and Penelope, a central character in Homer's Odyssey. When Telemachus reached his manhood, he visited Pylos and Sparta in search of his wandering father. The novel traces the journey of a son of a famous poet who dies and his attempts to understand his father's complicated life. The passage we're about to hear are from the first few pages of the book, in which the narrator's son sets up the backdrop for his father's death and his life. They found my father, a famous man, sitting upright on a hundred-year-old bench at an unfrequented subway stop called Andrews Square in South Boston. Medics determined that the cause of death was his heart and that he'd been dead 12 hours before anyone realized he wasn't waiting for a train, asleep, a vagrant, or a mound of rags beneath a hat. That image, which appeared on the front page of a major newspaper, still haunts me with its caption, Poet Warrior's Heart Stopped Underground Two Miles from His Birthplace. I've tried again and again to paint him, but the minute I begin to mix the gray and silver oils to portray his form leaning against those dull yellow wall tiles, I'm bothered by the question I've been trying to answer since his death. Did he find the last piece of his own puzzle before he sat down in that station? Before that picture reached the newspapers, one of his lawyers called me, Johnny. I had only talked to Johnny on the phone once or twice, back when Mac was attempting to pay my tuition fees but I had a pretty clear image of what he looked like. In my mind, at least, he always wore a baseball cap with his three-piece suit. Took it off for court, of course. He was thin as a rail and moved as fast as he talked. He didn't drink or smoke, and while we were on the phone, he told me he was slowing down his Peloton to give me this regrettable news. Bobby, I'm so sorry. He was only slightly out of breath. Nobody knows what happened to him. I mean, leading up to the heart attack, you know? Yeah, I guess. Um, why did his heart fail on that particular night? Any idea? Had he been seeing a doctor that you know of? No, I don't think he would do that unless, well, you know how he was. Unless he was dragged there in an ambulance. He still smoked and drank like a fish, as far as I know, Bobby. Could he have mouthed off at someone who pulled a knife or a gun or had a heart attack from terror? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, that's your dad. Who the f*** knows what he might do from one moment to the next? Ironic, isn't it? I mean, after a decade in every war zone on Earth, he dies on a quiet bench at a subway station. I wonder if it was grief. Grief? What do you mean, Bobby? Well, maybe he just got tired of seeing so much. He saw enough war and death, you know. Maybe he stopped being able to separate death in the world from his own, or maybe he was just too lonely to keep going. He had abandoned us and the creaking family home for the last time, as well as our little town in the Pacific Northwest, and returned, as he put it, to the scene of the crime, the Irish-Italian maze of triple-decker houses and potholed streets in Dorchester, where he spent the last ten years of his life. How long since you've seen him, Bobby? Yeah, you're right. I'm not the best son in the world. All these years, and I couldn't make myself do the right thing and visit him. 
Well, I don't know if you know it, Johnny, but apart from the summer when I was 13, I've only known him through phone calls and letters. Important letters, I'll grant him that, to him and to me, and they came regularly beginning after my sixth birthday until that 13th summer. They picked up again after that. I've saved the next 20 years of his letters from some pretty grisly locales, too. Famine, refugee camps, friggin' bullets flying around. You name it, he was there. I'm sure you know all about what he was paid for poems he wrote in the danger zones. Remember when he sent me to the Parisian art school and couldn't meet me there because he was in Libya? He changed, you know, said Johnny. He just wasn't the same happy-go-lucky guy after the accident. So I guess when he started diving into those hot spots, he thought he found a way to shake off the misery and guilt. Found some other Mac to put out there in front of the world. You know he was all about his reputation, right? Hey, you know what I remember about Mac? It's probably one of the first times I ever met him, and I think he might have been testing me. He was drinking, and he was happy. Oh boy, could he get happy when he wanted to. I thought you didn't drink. I don't. Not anymore. But I was kind of young then, and I was meeting this famous guy, so you know, I thought I could keep up. I've always wanted to recapture what I thought couldn't change but did or seemed to. The real Mac already seemed far away when I was 13. He wasn't the dad he was when I was little, that's for sure. But, and I held on to this as a kind of belief in him, he was Mac and Mac had to be Mac, that's all. Yes, he had the rep as a poet, then there was the insufferable literary critic who was long forgotten by the time he died. When I was 13, his personality had dimmed. What was left of the dad I remembered from childhood had turned down to barely a flicker. We just heard a passage from the book Telemachus by Michael Daly. You can read more about the book and the author on the publisher's website, Pleasure Boat Studio. Thanks to Connie Fur for her always excellent reading. Listen for Northwest Passages on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Thursdays at 6 p.m. right here on KSQM 91.5. Northwest Passages is the KSQM Studios production.